This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. An action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. You never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I am in the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Museum, and I'm sitting with former Governor Jim Edgar. Mr. I'm sorry, Governor Edgar, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Good. Well, I, uh, I am absolutely honored that you're uh, sitting here with me. Well, I know a, a Mattoon kid would be with the Charleston kid, and he's the former governor of the great state of Illinois, so I'm looking forward to spending time with you today. So maybe for our listeners that maybe don't know who Governor Jim Edgar is, could you what, what's made you the man you are today? I know that's a big question, but... I grew up in Coles County like you did. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and it really, I mean, I always said I, it was a great opportunity to grow up in Charleston, which has a state university, but it's a small town. Uh, I had a lot of relatives out in the farmland, and we'd spend a lot of time out there, and it was just a... A great environment, small town, but a university that brought uh, yeah. that intellectual opportunity uh, to grow up in. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we know people make it from Cook County, Chicago sure. area, or the St. Louis area. But uh, I always thought that growing up where I did was a great opportunity. Yeah. And it prepared me for a lot of things that uh, came along in life. Yeah. So what, uh, obviously, as you became uh, the 38th governor of, of the state of Illinois, but what, what got you into politics? I mean, what, what was it about politics that made you want to go do that stuff? Well, I came out of a very non-political family. Uh, I was in first grade. It was 1952, a long time ago. And the presidential election was that year between Dwight Eisenhower, the Army General, and Adley Stevenson, who happened to be governor of Illinois. <laughs> now, I didn't have a clue what a governor was and didn't know he was right. governor of Illinois, but I knew what an army general was. And in 1952, at my first grade, uh, it was during the noon hours, There were some of the upperclassmen came to me, the uh, third graders, and said, we're going to have a, an election here at school on the presidential race. Get your fellow classmates to say Eisenhower. And I, well, I was all for Eisenhower. He's the army general. <laughs> right. And so I got all the kids to say Eisenhower, and Eisenhower won the school election. I was so excited. I ran home and told my parents I helped Eisenhower win at school. And that's when I found out they were Democrats, <laughs> nominal Democrats. Right. But, you know, they, were, they, they weren't yeah. strong. But, so I became the Republican in the family. And uh, a year later, uh, I got elected to my first office, Red Cross representative. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, I got elected mainly because there was a vacancy. Uh, there had been somebody else elected, and he moved out of town. And uh, there was a boy and a girl, and the girl happened to be my girlfriend. So everybody said, well, you know, Mary's already there, and Jim's, that's his, her boyfriend, so we'll just elect Jim to go. So I always said my first election was on the coattail of women. Uh, yeah. uh, and the Red Cross representative, we we bought a bunch, went downtown with the teacher and bought a bunch of stuff to put in the packages to send overseas. And after we got done, the uh, teacher bought us both an ice cream cone. And I thought, well, this this politics this is works. all right. Yeah. This isn't a bad deal. <laughs> yeah. But I, I have to say, later on, I always ran for class office and stuff like that. But later on, I decided I wanted to go into politics. And 
part of the reason, this was in the 50s, and Eisenhower was president, who was held in high esteem, and it was a very honorable profession. Uh, and we had the Cold War. Uh, I remember the Hungarian Revolution. I was just 12 years old, but I used to, or 10 years old, I used to run home and watch that on the news and wow. things. But what I realized early on is that elected officials make important decisions. Mm-hmm. And we had things like the atomic bomb. Well, you know, I, I don't want somebody that's not qualified to make that decision. Right. I want the best possible people. And I thought, well, you know, I think I want to be one of those people making those tough decisions yeah. because they have huge ramification on all our lives. So early on, I, you know, I really wanted to to be in politics. I have to also say it was fun to get the ice cream cone. It was yeah. fun to be have your picture in the school newspaper, and we all have healthy egos. Yeah. But I also thought that, you know, you could do some important things. And so that kind of always was what mo- motivated me uh, early on to be involved in school politics, and then I got involved in local politics, helping candidates run, and uh, wanted to run myself someday. It's definitely a different world now, right? I mean, the politics are different today with social media, and we were talking before we started recording 24-hour news and all that stuff. But what was the what was the hardest part when you were governor? What's the hardest part about being in politics? Well, people who knew me, I, I was not known as an extrovert. I mean, I, I had a speech impediment. Uh, I was uh, rather shy. Uh, though, you know, I got along with kids. I mean, I, I ran with the kind of the the A group, I think. But uh, people just never thought of me, you know, people first meet me, they just, when I was in politics, they were just kind of surprised. In fact, the first time I ran, the only race I ever lost was the first time I ran. And I had a hesitation to go shake hands with people. I thought I was imposing myself. And, wow. Uh, so, you know, I had to lose to kind of learn. Uh, and all I said was the best thing that ever happened to me. But uh, that initial just realizing running for office is more than just caring about issues. You've got you to gotta meet people. You've got to project yourself to people. Uh, you've got to like people. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, you know, and also know that some people will tell you what you want to hear, yep. and you've got to sort through that. Uh, and you don't always win. Uh, it it was a it was tough to lose that first race. But like I said that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me politically, because you realize you can lose, and two, you never want to lose again. That's right. And so you work really hard. And but uh, you know, a lot of people get into politics by accident or later in life. I think from second grade on, I knew I wanted to be in this, and. My mother used to worry that she had dropped me as a baby because she couldn't figure out why I wanted to do this. Because, again, I came out of a family that uh, they were not into politics. They didn't view politics as necessarily a noble profession. Yeah. Now, after I got elected governor, she finally told one of my friends she thought maybe I, I did all right. <laughs> but up to then, she wasn't sure. I think he's going to be okay now. Yeah. So I think too, when you and you were talking, and I'm fascinated by. It. I love the fact that you just kind of knew, and but you, you know, you had to work, and you got to put an election team together, and, and you got to get elected. But I think part of it too is 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 casting that vision, right? Because people have to buy into the leader. I hate the word vision. I have to tell you, uh, I think uh, you've got to project that you're sincere, that you know what you're doing, and you're going to try to do the right thing. Maybe not always the popular thing, but the yeah. right thing. Uh, and you, you've got to demonstrate that to people. Uh, it's not so much you have five things you're going to get accomplished because many times when I'd run for office, particularly like when I ran for governor, things we talked about in the campaign, they disappeared after the election. We had other crises to deal. Yeah. Uh, when I ran for governor 
1990, we didn't talk about natural disasters, but as governor, two years later, uh, Illinois had the greatest natural disaster it ever had, the, the great flood mm-hmm. of 93. Right. And as governor, it's not the president, it's the governor that is in charge of dealing with a natural disaster in a state. And, uh, you know, I had to deal with that. So sometimes it's hard for people to know for sure, uh, based off campaign rhetoric, how a person might actually conduct themselves once they're elected. But I think if they, they try to get a sense of their character, yeah. of their personality, of their history, uh, that's probably a pretty good indicator of how they might perform in the future as opposed to, you know, some press release they somebody wrote for them or right. some speech they make. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always uh, – people always said, you know, you first got – I first became governor and said, well, what's your vision? I said, my vision is trying to keep us from drowning. We were state was bankrupt, something yeah. not unique to Illinois. Right. Uh, I had a Democratic legislature that didn't really like the fact this downstate Republican was governor. Yep. Uh, and so I didn't have time to look at lofty goals. I was just trying to make sure we paid our bills and mm-hmm. we survived. And uh, that, I think, uh, is what most people want from elected yeah. officials. And I think that you did a darn good job of. So thank you for doing well, that. Well, it, it worked out pretty well. I, the yeah. first time I barely won, second time I won a little more handily. Uh, but it is uh, anyone in political office, it's a tough job. I mean, you, it's hard to make people happy. Uh, you've got, and today it's, it's much harder. I don't know if I would have the fortitude to go through what you got to go yeah. through today and the negative uh, attitude, the polarization that now exists in this country, which I don't think is healthy at all. Back, fortunately, when I ran, uh, we Republicans and Democrats, we could fight on Election Day, but usually afterwards we got together right. and worked out a compromise and solved problems. It's getting a lot harder today, and that's unfortunate. It really is. I think it's nice, too, when you do uh, do some research on you, you find that you had a high approval rating, which I always, I always hear leaders, you want to keep the 50% that don't like you away from the 50% that haven't felt yet, right? <laughs> so I think that's a big deal. So, but, so when you sit here today, I mean, for me, it was a, a really neat moment to come in here and you see all the Abraham Lincoln stuff. And when you hear those, the, that name, Abraham Lincoln, what comes to mind for you? Well, to me, Abraham Lincoln was the greatest uh, elected official this country's ever had. Uh, mm. Probably one of the greatest Americans of all time. Of course, I'm a little biased. Growing up in Charleston, when Lincoln's parents are buried just south of town and one of the debates was held in Charleston, uh, you know, I kind of grew up in some ways maybe taking Lincoln for granted. But as you you read about him and you and you watch how he grew and the problems he had to deal with, I mean, nobody had a more difficult j- task than Abraham Lincoln when he was elected president in 1860. I mean, uh, the nation was pulling apart. Uh, he was um, elected with a minority vote. I mean, he didn't get a majority of the votes. Uh, and, uh, he, you know, if you read uh, Team of Rivals uh, by Doris uh, Kearns Goodwin, or I, I always get her name backwards, but anyway, it's a great book. But, I mean, he had uh, a cabinet. They all thought they ought to be president. He had a wife that had a tendency to spend him into bankruptcy. Hmm. Uh, he had a Republican Congress that didn't pay attention to him. He had army generals that wouldn't follow his orders. Uh, his least of his problems was the Confederacy in some ways. I mean, he, he had a lot to overcome, but he did. And uh, in the end, I think his uh, his perseverance uh, paid off. I mean, yeah. freed the slave, held the Union together. It's uh, unfortunate he was assassinated because I think maybe uh, the next few years could have been a lot smoother and we could have avoided problems we're still dealing with in this nation. But to me, Lincoln is... 
the 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 epitome of what everyone elected office should do. And one of the great traits Lincoln had was he continued to grow. I mean, here is a person who was self-educated, uh, but he continued to to learn. Even as president, he'd study military strategy. Uh, his attitude towards slavery changed during those years. Uh, he he can he, he didn't stay stick in the mud like some people they, they get points of view and they never change right. Lincoln changed and he, uh, he also was not paranoid uh, which is uh, you, you got to be in politics appreciate that's a that's a trait for a lot of right. us in politics and can undo a lot of good people uh, Lincoln never seemed to worry about these people around him that thought they could do the job better than he could he he knew how to maneuver them and, and get things done so I, I and I would tell people if they haven't ever seen the movie Lincoln it's based off of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it's it ought to be shown in every political science class and history class because it it just underscores what a brilliant leader Lincoln was, and the way he was able to maneuver the emancipation or the the, free, the constitutional amendment through the free to slaves. Uh, he was just a. There hasn't been anybody before or since like him, in my estimation. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland will return. On KTRS. I've got my good buddy Ryan Luchtefeld in the studio. What's up, Ryan? How you doing, Brett? I'm doing good, buddy. I am here. We're here to talk about Delmar Financial on the Circuit of Success. So if you can, tell us a little bit about Delmar Financial. Absolutely. Uh, Delmar Financial, I've been there for, gosh, five years now, maybe four, four and a half years. Um, but the company itself been around for over 52 years. Uh, not only that, been St. Louis and family owned for 52 years. Uh, what Delmar Financial does, and it's really all we do, are uh, residential home mortgages. Work with people that are buying a house, obviously, uh, or if anybody wants to refinance. That's that's really the crux of what Delmar Financial does, and we're pretty proud of the fact that that's that's our our bread and butter. Yeah, and so why is that a big deal? Do you think if I'm a if I'm a client, I'm driving down the road, I'm listening right now, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go buy a new house, or I haven't refinanced in a while. Why is it a big deal to be with a mortgage company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Mortgage companies, in a way, are still small businesses, or they can be, and and uh, it's unusual in the fact that we can be a small business but have all of the advantages of a big business. Um, we get the same rates that a big business would get. When I say big business, I really mean your big banks, your Wells yep. Fargo's, your U.S. banks of the world. Um, we get the same rates they do. Our fees are exactly the same, if not lower, than what theirs are, but... We're a small business, and therefore you get all the advantages that come along with being a small business. You get the service. Um, you get the fact that we can close a loan extremely quickly because we have all of our own underwriting. We have all of our own processing. We close loans in Delmar Financial's names. So it's, you know, you hate to use the cliche, but it's true in this case. Um, it's the best of both worlds. So when I'm looking, again, I'm driving down the road, I'm thinking about this house I'm getting ready to buy, I'm making an offer this weekend. I'm not really, but let's say I am. Uh, what's that process like? I pick up the phone, I call Ryan Luchtefeld. What's next? Well, first of all, if you were buying, I'm a little offended because I haven't heard from you okay. for a pre-approval letter. <laughs> right. um, but yes, speaking of, the pre-approval letter would be the process that you need to start as soon in the, pro- as soon in the home buying process as you can. Because that, that, that pre-approval letter is something that, A, the real estate agent on your side, meaning the buyer's agent, is going to want. And definitely the real estate agent on the other side, meaning the seller's agent, is going to want. Because the seller is going to want to see it. They, right. They're going to want to make sure that this person that they're negotiating with is serious, 
and can get a loan to buy your house. Right. So definitely you want to start with that pre-approval process. I'm of the belief you get that pre-approval as early in the process, as I said, as you can. Reason for that is sometimes one of the things we do, one of the major things that we do when we do the pre-approval is we run your credit. And a lot of people think, and most of the time, let's face it, they're right that they know what their credit is. However, we do have examples of somebody who comes to us, tells us, my credit's great, no issues. We run their credit and there is something hanging out there that's bringing their credit scores down. Whether it's an old medical bill or whether it's a uh, credit card that they have a balance that's too high on. And if we have a month to help bring those credit scores up, that might not be enough time. But if we have two, three, four months to help them bring those credit scores up, we can bring them from maybe a 690 credit score up to a 740 credit score. And that 740 credit score will get them the best rates that they can possibly. So that's what I was going to ask. So that the big deal of that is help, you know, maybe you're paying off some credit card debt, you're doing whatever it needs to be done, but that's going to help you get a better rate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which the, therefore is going to save you more money every month. Correct. Correct. For most loans out there, what you see are, are 20 point, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Terms, if you will. So somebody who's between 700 and 720 is going to get a good rate, but not the same rate as that person that's between 720 and 740. Mm -hmm. And the top tier that we have is 740 and above. So our goal always is to get that person to be 740 and above because that's where they're going to see the the best rates they can. Right. So uh, now I'm calling Ryan Luchtefeld, but who the heck is Ryan Luchtefeld? Uh, um, wow. Uh, do we have enough time? I don't know I mean, if we do. I mean, I don't know how deep you want me to get on that, but <laughs> I'll, I'll really stick to uh, stuff that maybe pertains to our business. So I've been doing this for, what, 15, 15 17 years. I guess I maybe should have counted before um, before coming in here, but um, doing this a long time. Um, grown up in, in Southern Illinois. I uh, went to school in St. Louis, and now I live in Southern Illinois, in, in O'Fallon, Illinois. Pretty proud of all of that. Pretty proud to be very local. Um, and uh, started in this business, like I said, probably 17 years ago. I'm in with two companies. Like I said, I came to Del Mar um, in 2013. So however many years ago that was, that's how long I've been with Del Mar. Um, and it's all I know, and it's all I've done. Uh, I work directly with clients. Uh, I'm not the guy who um, is doing this on the radio and then I'm going to give you to somebody else. I'm going to be the one that talks to you. I'm yeah. going to be the one that talks to you about your rate. I'm going to be the one that helps you um, bring your credit scores up if that's what needs to right. be done. Which I think is a big deal because uh, like most businesses, you want to have a relationship. I want to look the guy in the eye that I've been talking to and I think that's a big deal. So um, one thing you didn't mention is you are, I think that's important in the greater St. Louis area, you are a Billiken. Right, and you played what? I played, uh, yeah, at the in the late '90s, um, several years ago now. Uh, played basketball at St. Louis University. That's right. Uh, proud of that. Um, played with uh, somebody you know, uh, so you've interviewed on the circuit of success, Larry Hughes. Um, I don't know if it got enough play, but I think it's important that I did score more points in my career. Than- <laughs> Then Larry Hughes That's did. That's right. And, and we'll stop there. We won't get into any details after right. how that That's happened. Just, those are just getting in the weeds now. We don't need to do that. Uh, but, yeah, and, and, proud, uh, and proud, like I said, I, I've lived in this area my whole life. I, I, I uh, grew up in the area and went to St. Louis University. 
and stayed in the area. Yeah. And that's something we're proud of. Well, I think it's cool too is another thing you probably wouldn't say without me asking the question. So I'm going to talk about it anyway, but is not only are you a Billiken, um, but your brother played for the St. Louis Billikens, your sister played for the St. Louis Billikens, and your dad played for the St. Louis Billikens, right? So how cool is that tradition for the for St. Louis? Yeah, and and uh, you're missing actually my uncle. Uh, my uncle oh. and my dad were both at St. Louis University at the same time in the early 60s, uh, and then my brother was there in the 80s, my sister there in the early 90s, and I was there in the late 90s, wow. um, about uh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, we thought this was pretty cool. Um, St. Louis University put us all in the Hall of Fame, um, yeah. which was a, it was a cool night. And yeah. one of the things I remember, we got to get up and speak. Um, and uh, so one of the things that I said to everybody when I was there was, I'm glad none of us were good enough to get into the Hall of Fame by ourselves. <laughs> because that's true. Um, because this was a cooler night to have all five of us standing up on yep. stage and, and, and accepting our award. That's so, right. so yeah, we're pretty, we're very proud of that. Well, that's awesome. So, uh, people are buying now, people are refining now. What's the number? Where do we call Ryan Luchtefeld? Well, you can call me directly on my cell phone. Uh, don't hesitate to do that. Whether it's a weekend, uh, whether it's an evening, um, I might be coaching some soccer or softball for my kids. Uh, but, but, uh, did I say softball? Uh, you might have said that, sure but it's baseball, it's baseball, it's basketball. Uh, it's soccer, nervous. whatever it may be. Um, so I might be coaching soccer or baseball or basketball for one of my kids, but uh, when I get some time, I'll, I'll call you back or take the phone call right there. Uh, so call me on my cell phone, 618-593-3608. Obviously, you want to find out more about Delmar Financial. We, we do have a website, which uh, I know is um, pretty important. I'm not sure where I'm going with that. Um, so <laughs> but it's you, important these days. <laughs> it's important. Uh, you can check us out at delmarfinancial.com. You can email me at ryanl uh, at delmarfinancial.com. Um, but I encourage you to call me on my cell phone. i got zero problem answering questions any time of day uh, or any day of the week. Yep. I can tell you, working with Ryan and uh, knowing Ryan for years, he's a guy you can trust, a guy you can depend on. And I think the most important thing is he's a man of his word. He's going to follow up, and he's going to follow through, which is a big deal because a lot of times people don't do that in today's age. So make sure you call Ryan Luchtefeld at Delmar Financial. He's going to be with us every single month answering uh, all the, the listeners' uh, questions. And uh, so if you got a question, email the show, uh, email Ryan. We'll make sure to uh, broadcast that in the next show next month with Ryan Luchtefeld at Delmar Financial. The circuit of success continues on KTRS. Again, I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and it is an honor to come to you every single week. Why did we start the show? Why did we start the circuit of success? And, and so really, it's to give back to others. We want to help others achieve the lives that they want to live. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough since college to be in a career and own a firm that focuses on one thing, and that's to help and serve others to achieve their dreams. I've also been fortunate enough to become friends with lots of great people around the world who have achieved in all areas of life. I've learned that the most successful people out there are no different than the rest of us. And now it's time to let my experiences and those I've come in contact with get their message out every single week on the circuit of success. So when you think about it from a perspective as, as we're here with you know Governor Jim Edgar and we're thinking about, again, back to some failures and, and pick whatever one you want to talk about, but... What what did you learn from that to overcome it? So think about it through the lens of you get the business person listening to this, or maybe it's the athlete, whoever it may be. How do we battle through a failure? Well, you're not always going to succeed. It's like you're not always going to get your way. Right. Uh, there are times you're going to lose. Uh, and, you know, you try to figure out, all right, 
did, what mistakes did I make? You know, did I not explain it to people? Did I misread them? Uh, I mean, there's a whole host of reasons why you might fail. Sometimes you just don't have the votes. I mean, yeah. I often dealt with the Democratic legislature, so I had to convince Democrats who didn't necessarily want to follow my lead. Right. Uh, and you'd had to, you know, you had to figure out, okay, how do we get public opinion on our side? Public opinion is very important in politics uh, because this is yeah. a democracy. Now, people don't think they pay any attention. We do. We pay sometimes we pay too much attention, probably, to public opinion. Yeah. Uh, so. When and I, I had my failures. I mean, I had issues I tried to get that I couldn't pass. Uh, timing's important. Sometimes you have to. There's certain things you want to do, but this is not the time that, to get it done. You right. got to get some other things done and come back to it. Uh, I wanted to reorganize higher education when I was governor. Uh, tried it my first year, didn't get any place. Yeah. Uh, three years later, I had a Republican legislature, and I had been reelected, and this was the time to go in and, and do that, and I got it done. Yeah. So. Uh, Timing, uh, how you how you presented it. I mean, there are mistakes you can make and you can learn. I always said that, again, I go back to mention I lost my first election. It's the best thing that ever happened to me politically. I didn't think so at the time. <laughs> right. But uh, it, it taught me not only that I could lose, but I'm not maybe as good as I think I am. Or if I am, nobody knew it out there. Right. You know, so you, you've got to kind of, be realistic too, and understand that uh, it's hard work. Uh, running for office is very hard work. Uh, you've got to go meet people. You've got to convince them, as I said, often to do things they don't want to do. Uh, but uh, those mistakes at often can turn into being big pluses down the road if yeah. if you take the time to learn from your mistakes. Yeah, and, and I think and that's not the just get part. bitter and go home. One of the other things, when I lost that first time. Uh, what was it you were running for, too? State rep. State rep, okay. It was a primary. And I lose the, and I was much closer than anybody thought I'd be. I didn't know. Everybody thought I didn't have a prayer when I ran. <laughs> but uh, but after I lost, you know, there was a general election coming up. Well, I could have just kind of taken my bat and ball and went home. But it was going to be a tough election. That was the Watergate year of mm. history. That was a yep. terrible Republican year, and everybody knew it was going to be a terrible year. Uh, and so the party really needed me to kind of keep my people involved because we'd brought in some new people. And so I agreed, much to the surprise of some of my supporters, I agreed to be a party office holder and to help the candidate who beat me and the other people on the ticket uh, in that election. Well, it turned out as a result of me doing that, all those people who hadn't been for me that first time, the second time they were for me because yeah. they said, well, you, you know, you didn't take your bat and ball and go home. You stayed and helped even after you lost. So again, mm-hmm. that, uh, if, if you, if you fail, don't just get mad and quit or go home or don't say things that are going to come back to haunt you. Just realize take you're not going to, yeah, yeah, take them and, and try to learn from them and realize you're not going to win every time. So how do you define success? Well, in my old world, if you had more votes than the other guy, that was success. Or <laughs> yeah. if two is better than one. Yeah, right? if you when you left office, if your approval rating was high, then that was success. Uh, you know, I, it probably varies. I mean, in, in business, maybe it's you look at how much money you make. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, if, if you can look back and you feel like you've done some good, uh, you know, I still have people who come up and they say nice things about me. And being governor, and that makes you feel good. And yeah. you see programs that you put into place that are still working. Uh, that makes you feel yeah. like you you've had a, a good run. Uh, so it's definitely impact. 
impact, an and impact, uh, making a difference. Yeah, I mean, it, again, I don't think. Uh, again, I'm. I can't speak for a person in the business world necessarily, but I don't think it's just the bottom line making money. I, I think agree. You have to feel like that you help some people, that you also met your other responsibilities. I mean, one of the things I always felt bad about, uh, anybody who's moving up the ladder in any profession, they can get so wrapped up in that they don't take the time with the family and just smelling the roses, yep. as they say. Uh, as I look back, people say, what would you do different as governor? I may not have been quite as uptight. Uh, I had a – there was a, a Senate leader when I was first governor, and we had fought for months over the budget, which to me was the most important issue and because we were – we had this huge – at that time, the biggest deficit the state had ever faced. And I was trying to get us out of that and told them we were going to spend any money we didn't take in. And so we fought. And finally, after several extra weeks, we finally resolved it and uh, – we got everything ready for him to vote on, and somebody my staff came in and said, oh, we over-appropriated uh, $10 million, uh, and this was out of a $30 billion budget. And these are based off revenue estimates, which are estimates. So, you right, know, right. You, and I said, well, we're going to have to redo the budget. And this is right. after we oh. worked this. So I, I call up this Senate leader who is an old-timer, good guy. He's a Democrat, but he was a really good guy. <laughs> I said, Phil, I said, uh, the budget's off $10 million. We're going to have to redo this. And, of course, the bills have been drafted. The members have been waiting. Everybody's getting ready to vote and go home. And I remember he said, Governor, chill out. <laughs> Probably the best advice I ever got uh, as governor, governor was chill out. Chill out. I, did, I have to admit, it took me four years. I had to go through quadruple bypass surgery on my heart. Uh, but the second four years, I probably yeah. chilled out a little bit. I, I wish I'd have chilled out a little more in the first four years. Yeah. I think that enjoying the journey, right, that is part of it. We we talked about that a lot. You know, I, as I told you, I got four boys, and you get caught up in work and different things. And it's like you got to take a deep breath. You got to chill yeah. out yeah. and enjoy And you got to remember there's other – you get so wrapped up in whatever your job is that you think that's all that matters. And yeah. you, you got to be careful of that because yeah. a lot of other things matter a lot more. Yeah. Health, uh, family – because, uh, you know, I might be up one day in politics, the next day I'd be down. Well, the next day I might be up. So don't, you know, every day really is not going to be life yeah. or death like I used to think it was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my wife would tell you it was not easy. I mean, it was tough tough on the family oh, I when bet. you've got somebody in, in the family that's in politics. Yeah. Because Cause they read the same article. They right? read it, and uh, they also don't get the glory you get. I mean, part of it is... Yeah, people are attacking you, but also people are cheering for you and yeah, saying you walk nice in a room things. And, yeah. yeah, but if your family, sometimes you're shunted off to the side. Barbara Bush had a great line about that when her husband was running for president the first time. She said she really got tired of the press saying to the camp, "Would the woman in the blue dress get out of the way?" <laughs> She'd always wear blue. Yeah. Now, by the end of his presidency, most of the time they wanted to take her picture because Barbara Bush became this icon as far as. But uh, it's tough on a family, and you've got to remember that whatever your profession is, that uh, it's not you know you're getting the glory, but they they're paying the price. Yeah. Did you? So obviously you work tons of hours, uh, probably you know all day, all night, sometimes a lot of times. But what did you do to stay in the game from a? Did, you know, were you taking care of yourself? Was it, uh, you know, because I think that's a lot of times, you know, guys my age, we talk and you're busy and you're running kids and you're doing this and you're doing that. But how do you take care of yourself? Did you have a morning routine, all that kind of stuff? Well, I did in the beginning. In the beginning, I mean, I was. Yeah, hence the heart surgery. I ran, I, that campaign was went for a year and a half and that was the hardest thing I went through in my life. And I come in as governor and find out we're broke and I've got a legislature that 
you know, trying to make my life miserable. I mean, the speaker wouldn't talk to me for four months. Uh, <laughs> we got to be decent friends, but start out, it was tough. Uh, and I didn't really do anything except just worry a lot. Yeah. Uh, then I had heart issues. Uh, my second year, I had. Then my fourth year, I had. When I was running for re-election, I had to have heart surgery. Uh, after that, I got on a exercise routine. In fact, actually, before the heart, after the first time I had the heart problem, I got on an exercise routine and tried to watch my diet. And uh, but I, I was. I'm someone who takes things very seriously and uh, stressed out over. I mean, I, I used to find a parking spot I can stress out over. Uh, you know, this. It didn't take much to get me uptight, and I think that had a lot to do with the heart. So my diet and my exercise, it helped, but it probably didn't completely eliminate those challenges. Uh, I think you also have to have a hobby, something else. Uh, Jim Thompson, my predecessor, he loved antique. We used to, I worked for him. I used to get mad because I couldn't find him. He'd be out antiquing. Well, after I became governor, I understood you needed yeah. something to get away. Uh, I... Uh, I I played tennis, but then I, after the heart thing, they said that wasn't aerobic enough, and uh, I like to hike and things. But uh, I love horse racing. I got into horse racing. I don't. I'm not a big baseball fan. Yeah. Uh, so in the summer, you know, I'd I'd watch horse racing, and that's a lot of statistics and things. And so the staff always knew that. Uh, and my father-in-law had some horses, and so my my kind of getaway was to go out and go to the OTB track back then. You, you didn't have the internet to watch yeah. them on, and uh, to watch a race, and uh, and they also knew if if my father in law horse won, then I was going to be in a great mood. <laughs> but if he lost, they ran for cover. Exactly. But, but that was that was kind of my escape. Yeah. Uh, and I'd read the statistics and look at the magazines and things. And I think whatever you do, you've got to have some escape, uh, yeah. whether it's a, a sport or reading or something. You, you've got to be able to to get away and. Uh, get your mind off of uh now the, the other thing uh particularly the first four years i was governor uh my kids are well my 10 years of secretary of state my last part of that and my first four years of governor my kids were in high school playing sports and fortunately my kids were a lot better athlete than their father was <laughs> and uh, i i didn't miss any of my son's football games or basketball games i mean of course i was secretary of state then and i could set my schedule and the first thing we did was put the games on, and then this, everything Filling worked after that. Yeah. My daughter, she played tennis. She came a little later. I did have to miss one of her tennis games because I had to do a debate with my Democratic opponent during the campaign <laughs> for governor. And they said, you really got to go to you this You kind of got to show up to that one. But I still made more of her tennis matches than any other father. Now, I was fortunate. I controlled my schedule to a great yeah. extent. And as governor, I tried to control my schedule. So... Uh, if there was something like that, then uh, the kids are going to do something. And the people would say, well, that's really nice you went to see your kids. I said, it's not really nice. There's no place I'd rather be than right. watch my son play football. I mean, he didn't really care as much as I cared because right. he had to explain some of the plays when he'd come home <laughs> after the game. You know, I'd be waiting up for him. Uh, or our daughter who played tennis. I mean, I would question some of her backhand shots or whatever. But uh, watching the kids was just – and it was such a – a change. It was fun. I mean, right. it was just that was just kind of. So again, I I just think it's very important you have something other than just your your career. Yeah. Uh, so I can kind of help your batteries get recharged a little That's bit. Good. So I always talk about leaders can't hide, right? And especially when you're a governor, I mean, you can't hide. And so on the days that you rather would have just stayed in bed in the fetal position, how did you battle through that to get up and go face it? 
Well, I always tell young people when I'm talking to them, uh, if you're going to go into politics, first of all, know that everything you do could be on the front page of the Chicago Tribune or on the evening TV. Now, sometimes there are things that shouldn't be on. It's not fair. But that's American politics. Right. And we, you, you have to be transparent if you're going to be in politics. And if, if you don't like that, then don't run for office. I mean, it's just that simple. Uh, so I always knew that I had to be just on. And anything I did, I had to know that it could be on the front page of the paper and it could be distorted in such a way that makes me look bad. Yeah. Now, I was pretty dull, so it, it helped. <laughs> Uh, but uh, and, and it affected my family, too. Brenda, who was a great partner for me and a, made a great first lady, she was always extremely careful whatever she said because she didn't want to say anything that was going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And the kids, I mean, I had two teenagers. Uh, part of the time when I was Secretary of State, well, those of people from Illinois know that the Secretary of State's motor vehicle, that's who gives the driver's license right. out. So every teenager knows who the Secretary of State is, and both my kids got licenses when I was Secretary of State. I tried to get you them both. Their license. I tried to get them flunked, both <laughs> yeah. of them, but they passed. And but they knew they had to be extra careful because if something happened, they were going to end up in a. Right. They all were great. Nobody ever ended up in a paper except my wife. Uh oh. And it'd be the last one you think. I remember I was driving someplace. I was still Secretary of State, and she called me up crying. I said, "What happened?" I thought one of the kids. She says, "I got stopped by the state police." <laughs> I said, "What for?" We didn't have a new sticker on our oh license Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the Circuit of Success with special guest Illinois Governor Jim Edgar will continue on KTRS. The opinions you hear on KTRS are those of the host, callers, and guests, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or owners. If you have comments or suggestions, contact us at KTRS.com. Thanks for listening. The Circuit of Success with special guest Illinois Governor Jim Edgar returns on KTRS. Last few questions here. Uh, I give Governor Edgar $10 million. You can't invest it. You can't give it to charity. We, we're not going to let you buy a horse either. <laughs> we're not going to let you buy a horse either. But uh, what's Governor Edgar doing with ten million dollars today? Well, a million at least would have to go to the church or charity. Uh, you know, I, maybe I'll figure out a charity, yeah. not just straight to the church, but a charity. Uh, Nine million. Uh, I think I've taken care of my grandkids' education. So I don't know whether I'd set aside some for my great-grandkids because they should be coming along here yeah. <laughs> and, and doing that. Uh, you know, we, we, we've got too many houses. We've got three places. So Brenda says we have too many houses. It is. Uh, I'd probably try to talk Brenda and let's take that. Let's go around the world on a cruise. Nice. I'm not sure what we do about the dogs. Though, <laughs> I can't leave them. Well, you can leave a hundred grand for the dogs. Somebody well, take care of the dogs, if I had right? $9 million left, I could probably get a. Lisa Yacht, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, let me drive you around. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it'd be a nice, I guess, problem to have. Yeah. When, I, when I'm saying this, I'd have to give how much to the government? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Yeah. That's true. 30 million? Yeah. Three, 30 million? No, yeah. give me 10 million. Yeah. Give 3 million? Yeah. Great history books uh, about Lincoln as president. I just, yeah. I think it's, it's. And if you offer in the Lincoln, a, a fiction book about Lincoln, that's kind of the same period, but makes him very human, was Gore Vidal's Lincoln. 
historians don't like it because they don't gore it. I wasn't a historian. They use it, you know. But it, it is, you read that, and Lincoln really comes out a lot as a real person. And, uh, but Team of Rivals is, a, I think, a great history book. Uh, and I'm a big history reader. Another book that I thought was one of the great reads was called Rising Tide. And don't ask me the author, but he, it's a book about the Mississippi floods in the 1920s. Uh, along the southern part of the country, uh, from uh, Memphis south to New Orleans. And it's, it's, it's just a good read, but it's a fascinating thing about how that affected, made Herbert Hoover president, and it made Huey Long governor of Louisiana. I mean, it's wow. just amazing how something like the, that that yeah. most of us don't even know about. Right. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's a good read. There's some books that are interesting, but they're not they're kind of dull. Right. This is a good read. Uh, but the uh, uh, Team of Rivals, I think, is, is a good read. Uh, Another one last thing on it, an Illinoisan, he was here for a while at least, Grant. Grant's kind of, I think he, he doesn't get his credit. He gets his credit for an Army general, and I think he maybe doesn't get as much as he should because he was much better than Lee, actually. He won, and uh, I think Trump would agree with that since he won. <laughs> uh, but uh, a book by a gentleman named White. There's a new one out by the guy that did Hamilton. It's, it's twice as long, but this was written by White, a guy named White. It's about three years old, and it's just an excellent book on on Grant, and it's a good read. Uh, he, in fact, he gave a lecture here. We're at the Lincoln Presidential Library, and a couple of years ago, he came and did a lecture. And uh, he's an or- he was uh, he went to the Princeton uh, Theological School. So he he's one of these rare writers. He can write good and talk good. I mean, he anyway. Good but combo. Grant really, I think, comes alive as a. Very much more positive than what history, old history. I think to begin and revise how they view Grant. But uh, those books are, I think, are, are good reads. And of course, they're they're history books, and they're about somebody in politics, right. which I like. Though the the Rising Tide is just it's a fascinating on the history of that part of the South in the twenties. And you know, when's the Jim Edgar book coming out? Now I'm not. I don't write. Uh, somebody's <laughs> gonna have to write it. And I don't know anybody would want to read it. That to be, be kind <laughs> Got to find the reader and the writer. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, uh, Governor Edgar, it has been an absolute honor to get to interview you. Uh, you did great things for our state, so thank you very much for all you've done and uh, for your service. Well, thank you, and thank you for taking all this time to listen to me kind of ramble on about uh, things I love to talk about. I loved hearing it. Thanks for listening to The Circuit of Success. I am Brett Gilliland, and it's been a pleasure to be with you this week. And just like every week, our goal is to help you become the best version of yourself. If you want more information, please go to our website, circuitofsuccess.com, or on our firm website, visionarywealthadvisors.com. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.